1: great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt.
2: Hey, welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies, an agency providing uh, services to individuals with autism and other related developmental disorders across the country. i a board-certified behavior analyst, or a BCBA, who's been working with kids, adults, a, a little bit of everyone, all different ages across the spectrum, for, uh, for about 12 years, and you guys know me as the host of this show, and um kind of in a funky mood today we uh i, I can 't tell if i 'm in a good mood if i 'm in a sad mood i i 've had a I had an odd couple of days and you know found myself in a situation where I, uh, I had someone who i who I know pretty well who i who I trust who who i don 't know if they misled me, if they let me down. I don't know how to classify it, but I just kind of—I don't know—I felt disappointed with with something, and um, you know, coincidentally, in in kind of trying to cope with my the you know the emotional side and what was happening, I ended up uh, talking to a friend, um, and this is a guy I've known for probably about two years who. Um, I've worked with in a few different capacities who I, I, I really, really like. He he doesn't really know much about autism. He doesn't really know much about uh, this world. He wants to learn. And one of the things I've been doing is really, you know, every time we talk, I feel like I teach him a, a couple of really cool things that I know he, he really gets and grasps because it's a, it's the building blocks. The next conversation, he brings them up and we're adding things and and we were talking about this other thing, and, and we were remi- he reminded me about uh this this kind of lesson he taught me um, that really helped me with my my situation and I, I started to think more about the the bigger picture and you know he my my friend really the lessons he's taught me have a lot to do with communication and, and how to talk to one another, and I found myself really Going back to that and and thinking about how a lack of communication is I I think what caused this incident with the, the person that I trust, and and I think communication is the key to get us out. But he got me thinking about the greater picture and, and about us and what we do and about parents and about professionals and just how much our communication, even when we're talking, isn't real communication. You know, whether it be us unwilling to to talk about what's really going on. You know, he's, he's a big believer in this idea of there's the as-is, there's something we want to be, and then us being really clear about coming up with a good strategy and plan to how to get there. And that's how he looks at problems and, and, and communication being a big part of how you get through the as-is to the to-be. And I started to think about that about us. It's, it's how often – do we really talk about the as is, what is really happening right now in this moment, in the truest, most honest way, um, whether it be our lives um, our about ourselves, our uh, situation and, and, and in our community, you know our kids I, I feel like um, when I look at an IEP team and I think back to IEPs, what percentage? of people at that table truly look at the as-is in that way. And it's, it's not many. And then I think back to these IEPs and say, okay, what percentage of the team really comes together on a clear joined effort to be? This is our outcome. This is our goal. This is what we're striving for. And again, not many. And then sometimes people talks about the strategies. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get there? And my friend often talks about well, strategies. Sometimes we don't always talk about what the real strategies are. And he reminded me that these strategies, sometimes we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to, to lay it all out there of this is my plan. Because maybe we don't want to look weak. Maybe we don't want to be um, embarrassed by everyone out there who is sitting as part of this team Um, Because it can be scary. And he said, you know, these strategies are so important to get out there to talk about. They don't have to be right. They don't have to be perfect. They could be completely wrong because it's this communication about what is the best strategies. And in many cases, the fewest strategies to get to R2B. Because sometimes you try and do so many things, you do a little bit of everything, but you don't do any of it well. And, and he's a big believer and do fewer things, but do it exceptionally well. And I, as I said, I thought about my, these IEP teams and I, I don't mean to pick on an IEP team. It's just the easiest, uh, the easiest name to call a team. It could be a, a small team of me and a therapist and a parent and a speech and language pathologist, for example, in a home setting, or it could just be a one-on-one conversation. It's, it can be scary. It can be scary to, to have all of this dialogue and, and how often do we truly put it all out there. And then I thought about parents and um, not just parents of kids with autism but parents and the idea of, God, how scary is it to truly say what the as is for your child is and what you want the to be to be. Sorry for the to be to be. But um, how scary must that be? Because you're now admitting it. And if you don't get there, it's, it's out there. If we don't achieve it, it's out there. And now the world knows it or someone else knows it. And, and probably most importantly, I know it because I've said it out loud. And that's scary. And I think about being a professional, being out there and saying, I – I want to be trusted. I want to be that person you look to and turn to and depend on because I care about you and I care about your family and I care about this kid and what's going to happen. And how scary is it to lay it all out there and then be wrong and feel I failed, I let these people down, these are all these things that happened. And the thing that I really started to dwell on uh, for the last couple of hours is is this, this honest communication that we, I, I don't know how much we see it every day. I don't know how much we get, whether it be on our teams and I don't know whether it's a human nature thing, but it's something that I've really, I wonder how much better would services look like if this honest conversation takes place at the beginning of every intervention it takes place at a, a midpoint or or midpoints along an intervention. It takes place prior to an intervention, maybe ending every time we transition it. What is the now? What is my goal? And what are the fewest strategies that we think we can do exceptionally well to get us to our goal? That doesn't mean we don't we just limit ourselves to that. Maybe we can go beyond that, especially when needed, but what is that? And and having that dialogue and taking the time to have that honest dialogue with one another um, at the beginning of of some sort of intervention program or intervention plan, I just wonder how much better are all of our outcomes, regardless of our philosophies of, of treatment would be and how much better our relationships would be as we work together, whether it be provider to provider, provider to parent, school to parent, maybe even as, you know, I think as uh, a couple former guests have talked about, maybe parent to parent, spouses. Hey, this is what I want. This is what I want. Let's get on the same page. Um, We've had a lot of parents in the show talking about how important them and their spouse being together, unified on the same team, really was to their kids' outcomes, and I wonder that this level of discourse is as important, if not more important, than the actual intervention itself, because this would then set the stage for those actual interventions or strategies to truly be uh, the most successful they can be. So, I hope you guys could take the same time to to think this through and and even take some time to reflect on on um, how much you are doing this and and how much your providers, the people you work with are doing this with you. Um, It's it's dialogue that I've been having here with with my team at AST um, quite a bit to, to make it a bigger part of, of what we do. I know it's, you know, even with that conversation of doing it, I know it's still scary and it's scary for me to even say it out to you on, on the air in a way. But, I really think it's so important to where we're going to go and, and what the future is going to bring for us. All right, enough of me talking. Uh, time to uh, to move on to our next our, our next part of the show. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break um, in a second, but uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to be joined. Um, by a really great guest who I'm excited to have on the show today. We're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Cronin, a licensed psychologist from the uh, UCLA Autism Evaluation Clinic. Um, I think this is a topic that I've really wanted to talk uh, a lot about uh, for quite some time. And I'm just trying to find the, the, right, the right experts to, to lead us through this dialogue. And what I really am excited to talk about today is diagnosis. Um, that critical first step, um, in the journey. Uh, we've, we've read different things, um, through groups like Autism Speaks, the Autism Society of America, uh, websites like the AST site talks a lot about early diagnosis as do a lot of other providers. Um, the research is out there to show why that early diagnosis is so important. Um, but I don't know if we have really had the conversation on this show yet to talk about what is a diagnosis? How do you get it? Where do you turn to? What does it look like? Um, and, and have a real dialogue around that. And that's what I'm really excited to have today. So we're going to be taking a commercial break. When we come back, we are going to be joined by Dr. Cronin and learning more about the diagnosis process. We'll be right back, everybody.
3: You don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android
2: Market.
1: Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network?
3: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network.
0: Or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media.
3: Can you keep up? Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store,
2: BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program.
2: Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. Um, We're here in segment number two, and I'm really excited uh, to be joined by my guest today, uh, Dr. Cronin. Uh, As I told you guys before, uh, she's a licensed psychologist um, who's worked at the UCLA Autism Evaluation Clinic since its inception in 1997, and she became the clinical director in 2004. Uh, Dr. Cronin also earned the title of assistant clinical professor. In this role, she has provided services and training and contributed to the variety of research projects related to autism spectrum disorder. She has extensive experience assessing and working with children with autism and their families. She supported individuals and their families affected by autism in a variety of venues, school district, IEP meetings, um, as well as uh, hearings and due process. Dr. Cronin has provided training to local regional centers who have recognized the need for their staff to receive training in the -the state-of-the-art diagnostic tools that assist in the assessment and evaluation process. This improves the quality of diagnosis in the community and increases access to resources, a critical thing that I know we'll, we'll talk a lot about today. Uh, Dr. Cronin, thanks for being on the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Um, you know, The first thing I, I wanted to talk about was actually kind of the, I guess the foundation of probably our, our greater conversation is like what – when you're – when you're seeing a kid, when someone is being taken for an evaluation um, and a doctor or a psychologist is there doing this, what is it that they are looking for? Like, what does autism look like?
4: Mm-hmm. That, that's a that's – a, wouldn't we all like a short answer to that question? <laughs> sort of the, the $64,000 question. And, um <laughs> Just to to build, I appreciate your generous introduction. I uh, transitioned away from UCLA in the last fall, and now I'm oh. in private practice. So, still support. I'm a big uh, cheerleader and supporter for all the work that's being done there. Um, but uh, bring continue to work in the capacity that you uh, talked about, but more in a but clearly in the private practice setting. Um, and but regardless, when we set, what are we looking for when we um, try to make a diagnosis of autism, uh, it's it complicated and I think it, it is particularly an unfair circumstance because autism, I think different from many other, if you want to call them psychiatric issues or even getting diagnosed with a medical problem, is very inconsistent. Um, yeah. It's very inconsistent in what it looks like with, in the family, um, on the playground with other kids, uh, at school and and I see individuals and have across the course of my career across the lifespan so this is true even for adults that may not have been diagnosed early on with autism, but the the inconsistent presentation is is what um, is an obstacle for you know everybody, providers and families alike. and so what we look for, what we need to do is co- we talk about collecting multiple sources. Of information and the California Department of Developmental Disabilities in 2002 I was a part of um, identifying best practice guidelines and that Mm -hmm. you know is the breadth of that is you know significant and that's also what challenges the diagnostic process because it does take a lot of time of getting information from as many people as you can who interact with an individual in the current time frame, but also getting in touch with as many people and understanding from the parents what the individual has been like since early childhood and Mm -hmm. what their play skills were like, what their communication was like. Did those change? Did some of the kids lose skills but get them back or not get them back? About a third of the kids in early childhood lose some skills of language, but even more importantly, social skills. So you might have a child early on, you know, between one and two years of age, who's playing peekaboo, who is giggly, who enjoys pickling. And then somehow it just goes away. And, you know, it's not picked up right away because it's like, oh, he's just developing into other things. But but sometimes it's important.
2: That's the part that scares me the most is that piece. It's that normal, normal, normal trajectory, peekaboo, things are great. And then things disappear. You know, it's the, I don't know, that's the story that I've heard that just makes me cringe the most that catches you so off guard. Um, you know, you talked about the, the interview, talking to all these different people. Um, is, is that the only thing you do when providing a diagnosis or is there more that goes into the how does someone go about do, uh, giving a diagnosis?
4: Oh, sure, sorry. Yeah, you know, we definitely, you know, wanting to know what, uh, how an individual interacts at every point in every aspect of their lives but also then working with the individual there's as part of the best practice guidelines as well there's um, some standardized measures that are okay. administered it, we want to understand an individual's um, cognitive abilities so where their strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. sometimes there's a profile people think oh nonverbal skills skills um, or skills where people do not need to use a lot of language are better in individuals on the autism spectrum you know that's that's not always true, mm-hmm. um, similarly, um, we also look at how an individual demonstrates social abilities and imagination um, through a, some diagnostic interviews of social communication um, and that 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 can be very helpful and is it's one of the measures is called the autism diagnostic observation schedule and is seen as a gold standard, but as we have to Say over and over again there's no one measure that conclusively makes a diagnosis every piece of information is part of the picture and sometimes what we see on this you know gold standard measure is individuals actually do fairly well with an adult hmm. or a clinician because that's where they demonstrate better social communication skills is on a one-to-one basis with someone who's older, who's accommodating them. And so, you know, even our best measures might not always capture where the social and communication challenges are for the individual who presents on the autism spectrum.
2: You know, one of the things that I've heard a lot over the years, and and I I shared a little story on the, on the show a couple weeks ago of uh, this mom who was, who's having a really hard time, you know, or or a parent who's out there who says, I've gone to see this doctor. I've gone to see this doctor. I've gone to see this, these different people, um, who, who have not diagnosed my child, but ultimately my child got diagnosed by this third person. Um, whether it be when they were a little bit older, whether it be these appointments were close together, is, is that part of the problem of why that might happen is what you just said. The idea of, you know, we're clinicians, you have all this training, all this experience, you almost can set up and interact with this child in the best possible way for them to give you what they've got. Does that lead to some of that or is it uh, an education piece that we haven't even touched upon yet?
4: It's probably both, but I think you, you, your first point is, is, is pretty much, what occurs is that, you know, on an, on an individual basis, in the pediatrician's office, in the neurologist's office, in yeah. the psychiatrist's office, and the psychologist's office, you know, and, you know, it, children tend to do better. And I, and I think there's another um, inconsistency and sometimes maybe a myth that people perceive is that um, if a child seems happy, <laughs> they, they can't have... This social communication disorder, mm-hmm. and and that's not true either. But yeah, the the, the one hour one to one unstructured time in somebody's office, you know, is just a part of. Should go into the comprehensive diagnostic evaluation to make, to, to, to better understand if a child truly has a social communication disorder. And, you know, our, our systems of care are, are pretty much set up, right, in, in 20 minute or 45 minute sessions. And so yeah. the, the systems of care really do often lack um, the breadth and depth that needs to occur in the evaluation process.
2: I love the point you just made before about that someone being happy doesn't necessarily mean good social skills or or good social interaction, but we we, we do make that, like, as typical people, we kind of make that leap of faith, if you will, and I'm thinking of how many kids on the spectrum I've worked with who are actually some of the happiest people I know, like, smiles, they enjoy seeing me, but I wouldn't say they necessarily have great social interaction skills.
4: Yes. I mean, I I, I think this is an area of research that I understand has started. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with it, but looking at how temperament mediates what autism might look like and even response to treatment. I mean, I, I see children as well who it does look like their temperament being responsive and happy has really helped. Foster hmm. their um, response to the interventions that, and support that they've received, but but I don't know that for sure. You know, it's sure. just yeah. it's just an observation.
2: Yeah, it's. I, and I think it's an interesting how it how it could even mislead people into thinking. You know, like you said, this person in this twenty minutes was really happy. They maybe they don't necessarily ha- mislead someone who maybe isn't as aware of um, what is really going on.
4: And, and, and to dovetail on that, I mean, I have the yeah. experience often with. With parents, I mean, again, this is where I think it's unfair and it's inconsistent because I've I've sat with parents and I remember one father in particular, he just looked at me in disbelief. It's like, you know, and I knew it was going through his head. He comes home every day from work. He has a great time with his little guy. They play his games. They tickle. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they have a great evening. And it's like, how could I say that something was not quite right with his son? You know, it's like in that situation with his dad, he's, he's a great social little guy it's you know when he went to school that that little guy who was so happy was struggling a lot more with the social skills so wow very unfair
2: yeah yeah well i know i have a long question to uh to ask you next so before i do that why don't we take a a quick commercial break and when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about the ins and outs of this uh, diagnostic process We'll be right back after this. Okay.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to more info at autismtherapies.com. That's more info at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program.
2: Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. Uh, I'm Rob Haupt, and we're talking about uh, diagnosis process with Dr. Cronin. Um, you know, as I was listening to you uh, right before the break, I, I really started to think about – you said I, – I and now I forget the words you said, but I, the idea is clear in my head, is that it sounds like it is really critical for the people who are – going to provide a diagnosis or uh, whether it be the MD, the neurologist, the pediatrician, psychologist, whomever, like it sounds like you really need to understand autism, like really get it to, uh, to be able to give good diagnoses on a consistent basis.
4: Yes. I, 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 a good and thorough appreciation of social communication skills and abilities. And sometimes, you know, just a, off the cuff sometimes that's relying relying on other children who are the same age, such as mm-hmm. you know their schoolmates, like you know kids can kind of be the best diagnosticians you know it's like hmm. he doesn't you know you know he or she doesn 't quite get it or always wants to talk about airplanes or you know it, 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 it's really going beyond what um, what comes into your office
2: mhm and is that you know I think about the it's funny. It's you mentioned that the, when we first started talking that you're now in private practice, and I, and I think that's actually really great because it means there's another person, there's more people out there giving the, who who can be who really are trained, who know what to look for, how to do this. Because one of the things I always hear, and it's not a California thing; it's a it's across the country thing, in, in almost every state I've ever been, that it's hard to find people who can give a good diagnosis or it's hard to find people who understand the social communication and and what we are describing um, because all of them are so backed up. It's six month wait list at this hospital, one year wait list for this physician. Um, Is it – do you have any sense as to maybe why that is? Is it just that the, the education or the resources? have not been available to us to be able to spread that information? Or is there something different going on?
4: That's a good question. I mean, it does seem like um, overall people are more informed. So I would hope that the education aspect is, is less of a problem because, you know, everybody, you know, the, DS, the dsm four the diagnostic ba- Bible you know came out in 1994 with the you know more expanded criteria much more informed based on research in terms of what autism looks like and then you know then it means you you've got probably another 10 years of people getting trained into that um, to a certain extent um, besides the people who were you know in part of the research and now um, I think so I do feel like there is a I hope that there 's a better and a broader understanding. I think the the hiccups and the bumps in the road are the inconsistency of what autism looks like, even in one 's own house with somebody. They mm. seem fine on uh, for a period of time and then and then they hit a, a roadblock or another social milestone that they don 't make and so then there 's more difficulties and and I think we probably have um, providers and services that are somewhat disenfranchised in the sense of, you know, school providers are educated and informed to identify folks on the spectrum, but they're also obligated to criteria such as, is it interfering with educational progress? Or we're back to, he seems happy and he's doing well in school, so there isn't a recognition that, well, but, that's because it's structured and you're providing a certain level of support. The child still has a social communication disability, and, and we should be proactive in thinking about what they need. And so sure. my guess in part is that, and then as you we talked about a minute ago, and then if you just go to the doctor's office, there's you know a more limited evaluation time and period there. And so then right. folks aggregate towards these centers that will look at the big picture um, to provide support. So... I'm not sure that that really answers the question, but it, it probably is just a, a lack of continuity across, you know, education, community, and the medical establishment that, that does hinder sure. the process. As well as, unfortunately, we're still in a place that the diagnostic evaluation process is still long, and mm-hmm. that slows everybody down. You can only, you know, mm-hmm. have a staff that's so big to fund so many evaluations sure. and as well, and and, uh, and still maintain the quality that you need. So, um. That's a good
2: point. In addition to you know, I think what's one of the things I'm curious about is if I think in my mind about the role you get to play, and 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 some of the conversations you have. You know, we've kind of talked about the the before, the beginning, up to that, this midpoint, and it, it strikes me that. You hit this point where you say, okay, I have a child and I do believe this child um, has autism and is an individual on the spectrum with ASD. Um, what, what do you do there? Like, how do, you, how do you talk to a parent about that and, and uh, what kind of things do you lead them down? Because I know this is, this is truly just the beginning of a, of a new path. So how do you start them off on this new path?
4: Um, well, talking talking a lot about that. Uh, this is this is just something. All of us have different brains. This is just how their brain is different and works differently. Uh, and you know, we like to think of it more as a social communication disability, like mm-hmm. people in terms of a learning disability. So, some people have a reading disability. Some people have a math yeah. disability. I am geographically challenged. So. We just need to talk. You know, they're good at a lot of things, and just need help in this particular area. Uh-huh. Um, what we also know, and I think now, you know, the in terms of intervention has kind of come to this point that social stimulation really fosters our abilities across areas. In mm-hmm. terms of even if you have a, a a child early on who has delayed language or is nonverbal, we still want to keep um, working with the child that's in a fun way, that's playful and helps them develop the play skills that then foster language development and social development. So maybe even helping families to see, okay, it is important for a child to do well in school and master these certain academic tasks and abilities and learning skills. But actually, you know what? Kids with autism tend to do okay with that. Let's focus more on what is harder, possibly a little more abstract, is developing um, social skills and play skills that then also lend themselves to building these other skills, but also then make them more socially appealing and interactive. Um, it can be hard for kids, so they need, you know, the model um, is providing reinforcement strategies and motivational strategies to, to help them do these things. Social communication, learning disability issues that are uh-huh. hard for them to, um, to to make progress. So, like, try to try to look down that road and yeah. Um, and I think too, you know, our society moves very quickly, so it's also taking telling parents just to take a step back, slow down. Let's look at one thing at a time. You got to take care of the whole family. You've got to take care of yourselves, um, and that in itself also helps. You know, everybody have the energy yeah. and attention to, to help the child with their social communication learning disability.
2: It's so funny that you say society moves quickly because I was, I, my next question is literally, I feel like I've met so many parents who want to act quickly. And I got to imagine one of the very first questions you get is, okay, great, who should I talk to next? is is that true is that a question you get and, and oh, if yeah, so is
4: yeah. that yeah what's the to do so, list and and reasonably so you know you want yeah. you want people to be proactive um and of course you're you know no there's no greater advocate than the the parent of a child so Absolutely. um it's those you know having that level of motivation is is really integral towards towards moving down a pathway so so yeah there's and then we have to temper it with well every Every service, every support you get also has a process, and but there are still always things that families can be doing themselves, again, not to create more anxiety or more stress, um, because children tend to make progress anyway, um, even with little bits of intervention, not with, you know, tons of it. So... They, they will continue to see progress just by doing little things. And there are some parent guides out there that, especially for—I mean, across the lifespan—but for people just starting out, um, that help families better understand the things they can start doing just themselves on a small basis, one thing at a time, before they can can enlist or the or the school services or community services open up to to support them. Mm-hmm.
2: We're talking about kind of this idea of like starting to develop a plan, you know, and, and, and look, looking for supports and looking for a plan. And how far do you usually recommend for parents to, to do so? Like how far in the future is this a let's take this small step by step? Or do you recommend for folks to really think a little bit more long term of this is a, a greater outcome we have that we should keep an eye on down the road?
4: Well, I'm always... Impressed and am lucky um, in the and admire families because they're always looking at the, I think always looking at the long picture, the mm. long road. You know what's ahead from, you know I'm saying let's look at school-based intervention now and over the next couple yeah. of years, and they're way ahead of me. Um, wow! So and I and I think I mean and that's being a parent, so that, that's clearly important. And you know again I'm always impressed by it. But um, unfortunately, this is where autism, I guess, is unfair and inconsistent in mm-hmm. that I think we, for the most part, plan for the next two to three years um, at a time because then we get to reevaluate what the strengths and weaknesses are, where the challenges are, and, and, then, and then plan again from there. Um, I mean, obviously, there are some abilities to plan, oh, long-term um, with you already know certain skills and abilities, it's like, well, that that maps onto this type of education program down the road, or this kind of uh, place to live down the road. But yeah. um, it, it is it, it is an ongoing process, and I think that also just makes it unfair because I think it it puts everybody on edge, is that we're always thinking about what's next, and because autism is inconsistent and brain development is unpredictable, we we don't know what comes next. Um, the, right. Yeah, so I, I think I can.
2: <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I agree. I think I think that's a good. I think that's a really good point to think about. Is just the idea of the the you don't always know what's going to come next, and it's that um, the flexibility in how we plan and where we move. I, I think that's a, a really good point. Um, well, you know, actually, we got we only got a couple seconds, so let's take our final commercial break. And we'll come back after this with one last segment. Be right back, everybody. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America.
3: Have you figured out what's not working in your sex life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaran for Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Tamaran has had both highs and lows in her sex life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to create more fun, intimacy, and pleasure. Her guests also come from the sexual health and wellness industry. And together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get the sex life you've always longed for. Let's figure it out intimately airs live every thursday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific on the voice america health and wellness channel
0: step into the doorway to conscious choice greater health and well-being attain the balance that you've been seeking tune in and turn on 1111 Talk radio feed the mind embrace positively release the tension step out of fear
3: Follow us
0: on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's more info at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our final segment on Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Pagin, uh Cronin, uh, licensed clinical psychologist. Um, and, you know, during the break, you, you mentioned to me that there's, there's a couple of other roadblocks to the diagnosis, um, a couple of other things that are kind of making it tricky for a family to To maybe receive the diagnosis, um, and I was hoping you could share with everyone um, what some of those additional things are that that they really need to be aware of.
4: Well, I, I think when we talked a little bit about how you know the our our systems of care are have are, are tend to be more brief types of evaluation processes, and uh, you know nobody really wants to see autism. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. only difficult to see, but but, you know, the reason we you have this show is that it's a difficult diagnosis. It's a difficult area for families to um, address and find what they need and support their child. So one of the other roadblocks, I think, is that, you know, we all take the path of least resistance, you know, the... We, we want something that will help us lose weight fast, those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. I think we, you know, the, the path of least resistance often with kids, even across the lifespan, is looking at what walks in the door and hearing what a parent talks about. And parents, uh, people, I and mean, then providers might hear, oh, that sounds like attention deficit disorder, or that sounds like mm-hmm. anxiety, or that sounds like depression, and and so. Some, and it could be the, we know, we've known for a while that, you know, people with developmental disabilities are at a heightened risk for other issues, especially psychiatric symptoms of depression, anxiety, inattention, um, or hyperactivity. So, and you can treat those symptoms, but it just mm-hmm. still doesn't take away that co-occurring with those diagnoses is also a diagnosis of autism, and sometimes even reading the symptoms of those diagnoses is more difficult because, for example, some people with autism um, don't necessarily use facial expressions. Well, often we use use facial expressions to read how someone is Mm -hmm. feeling, and so someone might get diagnosed depressed because they don't have facial expressions, or someone might not get depressed because they can't can't tell whether they're depressed or not so it, it is another another obstacle um, and it's also unfortunately something that can come up down the line over the course of development um, and, and therefore so it needs to be carefully monitored and evaluated too.
2: I guess I'm really taken aback I mean I knew all of this or, or at least most of this it's just how much really goes into the diagnosis process like all of these different factors all of these different things that are going on and you know oftentimes i mean i have seen some of the statistics there there's so much a lot of kids with autism have so many other medical needs beyond just autism or dual diagnosis is very is very common and it's it's i guess hearing all of this sitting down having this long conversation with you i've just really taken aback by just how much really goes into this how complicated this really is and it's not as simple as okay go get a diagnosis, that starts the road to accessing all these therapies.
4: Right. We don't, we don't treat labels, right? We treat people as, right. and everybody. So you really have to work with whatever, whatever comes in the door. And I, and that's, and that's where I think there's, it's unfair and it's inconsistent because everybody has to be on their toes as to if it's autism, it's not going to look the same as the last person you met with autism.
2: Yeah. And it's just it's so tricky when I, I like what you said, you know, we don't we treat people, we don't treat labels, but it seems like sometimes the our system is set up where you need a label to qualify for a program. Right. And how hard, like like I I, I what I'm really taking from, from talking to you today is the you know, how differently this presents in so many different ways within maybe a 20 minute segment, it could present so differently. And how complicated that must be for everyone involved when you have to fit a label to access certain programs that are really critical for a lot of families in terms of getting the help that they need for their child.
4: Yes. And, and I think it's also unfortunate that there's still a, a, a stereotype around the label that if you hear the label, that must mean somebody is, is grossly disabled or inept or hopeless and And that's not true either you know yeah. all it all it defines is that there's a certain set of issues like a learning disability that require specific targeted intervention, and there's a lot of information about what's helpful to most people now mm-hmm. and And again, you know most people continue to get better, so
2: yeah um, yeah yeah, and it's I think it's it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited, as you said, most people continue to get better, and it seems like. As we progress, as time goes by, I'm actually really excited to hear more of the success stories of, you know, now we've had, from my perspective, and it's, it's a little different being from kind of where I jump back and forth in terms of the coasts, but it feels like we really have a good 15 years of where services, at least in terms of where I've been living and working for the last nine, really there seems like there's been good progress um, or maybe even a little bit more than that. And it's really I think I'm really excited to see those kids from who were maybe diagnosed at the beginning of that 15 or so year window. You know, if they got diagnosed at two or three, now they're coming into their early 20s. And what kind of success stories do we ultimately hear? And how much does that impact kind of our perception of just like you said, there's a lot of hope. There's there's we have to look at this in this different way. Um, similar to some of these maybe learning disabilities in terms of how to reach our kids and then the great outcomes that they could potentially have.
4: And and I want to know more about the people that aren't under that umbrella anymore, that Mm -hmm. you're talking about the success stories that well, there's also, I think, a lot of success stories out there that they're far away from uh, anyone providing services to autism, any autism research, yet they Identified and receive services, and and those, you know it's like okay, so they're nobody notices anymore. What what helps them? I mean, we don't know what helped them. Let's we need to we need to look at what their brains sure. are like or their genetic makeup. or Something that, that that fostered that that I, level of success. They're off that, the radar now. What what happened?
2: that's a great point. And I I got actually two people in my mind who've come right away of like, yeah, we should look at what happened with those two guys. And there are people I don't know personally, but the stories I've heard are, would be really interesting to figure out and see if we could see more and more trends in that. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we've got three minutes left. um, So I do want to, um, I want to thank you for being on the, on the show with us today. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some listeners who who probably have a lot more questions and, and would probably want more information um, from you. Is is there a way for someone to get in touch with you if if, if they feel sure. that way?
4: Uh-huh. Um, my website is croninassessment.com, and my email is croninassessment at yahoo dot com.
2: Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. This is a, a conversation I've wanted to have for a while and um and one that i'm just i'm really glad it, it it as every good show does it goes in a little bit of a different direction than i anticipate and, and that's kind of how I, <laughs> that's sometimes how i gauge whether or not we really had a good one so well, well thank uh, you so I, I much for you.
4: having me i really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners it's been a lot of fun awesome. thank you
2: beautiful thank you so much um you know with my last two minutes i just want to uh just kind of wrap up with, with some of our similar themes. Um, you know, we, we've we talked so much about this early diagnosis and how important it is. And it, you know, what was I expecting to talk about today was was that. But I'm really glad we kind of ended with, with what we just talked about, this idea of, you know, what can the future hold and, and spending some more time looking at that. And I, I think it fits in really well with what we were talking about in the beginning, this idea of the as is, the to be creating strategies to get there. Um, so, uh, I I hope this is something that all of you get to take a couple minutes. I I know we're all busy, but apply it to, to how we're looking at what we're doing. We're all at different stages with our kids and and with their programs and their, and their progress and and, and take a couple moments to, to reflect on this and regardless of the stage to, um, to be able to create those better plans and those, those better visions. Um, If you have more questions for me, more questions for us, as always more info at autism therapies.com. You can talk to us and me on Facebook. I have been responding a bit there uh, here and there off and on as I've been running around these last few days, but you guys have been a little bit quieter lately, which is, uh, which has helped me out a bit too. Um, And please come back to the show. We've, uh, or sorry, the show. Come back to the to uh, to our website, the autismtherapies.com dot com website, where we've got all the different archives. You know, I think this is a great opportunity to maybe re listen to a couple of the shows we've done in the past. Now we've got got the very beginning. Um, I think it would be a great chance to maybe go back and listen to a couple of shows. Um, the ones that really came to mind to me were uh, a show we did on March 19th with uh, Dr. Robin McWilliams on uh, early intervention and education. Um, and I think also a show by, uh, we did with Dr. Jim Ball on February 19th is another good one to look at um, to kind of see how these things maybe go hand in hand and how we go step by step through this greater process of, of creating these plans and outcomes and, and uh, interventions for our kids. So with that, I wish you all a fabulous week, a fabulous weekend. Um, hope you're all able to take some time, uh, as always, to, to enjoy yourself, enjoy each other, enjoy your family, and, uh, and enjoy the successes that have come in the, in the week um, that's led up to this. Have a great one, everyone. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
1: We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week.